Sherry Nicholson is the founder and president of Yaypack Outreach, an organization that serves the homeless, hungry, and needy in Clarksville and the surrounding area. Hear her amazing story of coming out of homelessness herself to her life-changing encounters serving the less fortunate in the area. You will be inspired. All on this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. Let me tell you something. Tell me. This young lady we've got today, people say one of my favorite people in the world. I literally mean it. Oh, I feel the same way about her. But like I, said I'm, it first. I she inspires me. I said it first. Oh, well, no, you don't. No, you don't get to be the only one that does that. Okay. Okay. Sherry is such an inspiration. Uh, I, I said to um, my sales manager, we were in there the other day, and I said. I just want to help her because I know that everything you do is for such a good cause. And I'm just so inspired by your love and just your desire to serve other people. Right. Sherry. Sir. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. So happy to see you. It's good to see y'all. Thank you for this opportunity. You've been a busy lady, haven't you? Very busy. I was driving down the road the other day and I saw her driving, pulling a big old trailer. And here's what I thought. I, I thought, wow, that's a cool trailer. But then I thought, dang, she knows how to pull it. <laughs> <laughs> Been doing it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So you are, what's your official title at Yapex? CEO, founder, president, just. Worker bee. Whatever yeah, needs done today. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever needs to happen. So so before we get into YAPAC outreach, let's talk about Sherry for a minute. How did you get to Clarksville and kind of kind of walk us through your Walk your us through your journey. Here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Clarksville. I was born and raised in Southeast Texas. Mm-hmm. I knew you had a Southern accent. Yeah. Right on the Louisiana border where all the food is real good. <laughs> Uh, Um, Love that spicy cooking. Um, Actually ended up in Hanson, Kentucky. Uh, Moved up here in 97 to Kentucky because of a job. Yeah. And got really involved with just ministry and work and um, had an opportunity to work with youth here in Clarksville in 2012. And so moved here to work with the youth. And during that transition, Fell in love with Clarksville, obviously. Who wouldn't move here and fall in love with Clarksville? I have a tremendous respect for our military. So to be close was a really big deal. My dad was Navy, although I know we're not close to the coast. But uh, my grandpa was Air Force. So there was a lot of history. I have a lot of first responders in the history of my family. Mm. And so um, everybody was very inviting. But what I loved about Clarksville is it's... uh, it's just a collection of beautiful souls from all around the country. Yeah, There's, yeah. It represents so many from around the country. And so um, we decided it would be our forever home mm-hmm. um, and plugged in immediately with the community. And during that time is whenever, um, about five years ago, uh, we were in Nashville actually having dinner and um, pulled up to the red light at... 23rd and West End, and there was an elderly homeless woman there that literally wrecked my heart. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was the beginning of YAPAC. So, anyways, I've been here for a while and just uh, want to serve as best I can to see our community fruitful and healthy. And and you do. She and, sure does. And Cherry, we get to we get to work together on some projects, mm-hmm. not not only through our church, Life mm-hmm. Point Church, but mm-hmm. through AUSA and yep. you know, Feed the Children Network and stuff yeah. like that. But it what, what's really cool about her is she's not doing this isn't a job for her. Oh I it's yes, a, I know it's that. A, it's a lifestyle and it's a the caring because 
I see you post your your stuff on social media, and you have a real life connection mm-hmm. with almost everyone that you serve. Mm-hmm. You know their name, you know their story, you know where they are. Yeah, they're the homeless people. You know where they are, and you go to them. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's almost sometimes hard to put in words, and it goes back to it being a relationship. Mm-hmm. It really has to be about a relationship. And the reason it has to be about a relationship is because that's when they begin to let you into their life. Right. If you meet a basic physical life need, nobody wants to listen to you if they're starving. Yeah. Nobody wants to listen if their body is hurting and they're broken and they make no sense of where they are in their life. Yeah. But if you begin to meet that basic life need, they'll begin to listen to you. And then you have an open door to share Let's walk together and see about getting your life changed. Mm-hmm. And that has led, uh, and I, I could so shorten it or tell the long story, but it really has led to seeing a lot of lives changed and turned around, whether we're funding full-term recovery, um, which is the only thing that we will fund. Short-term is not something that we're interested in because it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not seen success in that. Seven days is not enough when it's hardcore. 30 days is not enough. It is long term. And we are seeing a tremendous success in that area. Um, People, women are letting us into their life that have been broken and left alone, who are hiding in 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 a set of woods somewhere that their whole life is wrecked and they don't know how they'll ever get out of it. And now they're in their own home. They're restored to their families. They're in their right mind. They're getting the help, the emotional help, the physical help, all the things that they need. And so it started there. But out of that and because of what we were finding with the broken, with the hurting, it's not just that... The mindset with our homeless is that they're lazy. It is so much more than that. And every person that's out there, it's not because they're lazy. It's because there's some sort of trauma that has happened in their life that brought them to that point. Mm -hmm. The drugs is a Band-Aid for things they're trying to forget about. Mm -hmm. Alcohol helps soothe the pain of what's ever going on in their thoughts or their body. So there's a lot of trauma in our homeless. But there's a lot of resources that can help heal that. We just got to get them connected and get them where they trust us. And that's where we're seeing the success because of those relationships. But what happened with us is out of that was birthed so much. We started in the homeless camps. And we started building those relationships. But because of that, it launched into our children. It launched into our veterans. And for me, disaster relief is also a personal opportunity Mm -hmm. to walk into people's darkness in that moment that tragedy happens, which was something my family experienced because we lived on the coast. We went through the hurricanes. I seen the loss. I seen the devastation. I seen the tears of mothers who were standing there with babies without diapers on because no resources had come into their tiny little backwood country communities Mm -hmm. right away. And so what we've done is we've taken those, those situations with trauma And now we get to stand in the gap of those resources until they get there and be a friend to them. And it's because if somebody had not done it for me, Mm -hmm. I would not be here today. And I know that because I myself ended up homeless with two children. And somebody took the time and the opportunity to let me know that I was valued Mm. and that I was loved and that there was something more and that there was a resource that could help me. And we get to do that same thing today. Now, I might be backing up just a little bit, but I remember, you know, you know, before we start talking about YAPAC and everything that you do, I remember you sharing a story with me about the very first time you went out in the field and you gave away something. So tell that story because I thought it was beautiful. 
So, um, <laughs> like, uh, you, I think you said your husband's like, you're going to do what? Oh yeah. That, that, that was the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we found that elderly lady on the park bench at 23rd, I wrestled all night. Uh, my faith is a firm foundation of everything that I do. And so that night when we got home, I mean, I bawled and cried at that, at that stoplight. My husband said, are you okay? What happened? This is supposed to be a date. And I said, <laughs> you're that like, woman over there. And, and, and so, and he, he gets it because he also is a minister. And so um, we got home and I couldn't sleep. And I have a little room at the back of my house. It's just my little, we call it the Florida room, but it's really just my go-to place for mm-hmm. just to be quiet. And so I told him, I said, I, I'm just going to go downstairs. I don't know what's stirring in my heart, but I can't sleep. And by morning, I felt like the Spirit of the Lord had just laid on my heart to pull my purses out from underneath my bed and to fill it up with something that a woman needed. And I knew what she needed because I had been there personally. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that the homeless always need the hygiene. One, they don't have a place to always take a shower. Um, But a hair tie to pull her hair back, an actual brush to get through her hair and not a little old black comb. Um, she needed an actual hairbrush, some cough drops, a little pack of aspirin, you know, for Mm -hmm. those days that her body hurts. And so fingernail clippers, the simple, simplest little things to put into a person, make a woman feel like a, you know, at least I have something. Um, so I pulled out all my purses and started packing. And within a week I had friends giving me purses like crazy and it exploded so much that I filled up my house. I filled up my friend's house. But in that story, my first trip out. Uh, my husband was, it was freezing cold and my husband was ministering at the Hilldale Detention Center and doing Bible studies with the inmates. And so I said, hey, I'm going to ride with you and I'm going to go walk the streets and I'm going to give out purses to these women. He said, Sherry, you know, are you sure about that? And I said, <laughs> I got a lot of street smarts. Trust me, daddy. <laughs> and so um, so he he pulled into the special parking where they park and, and he went into the jail and I walked the streets, which started an ongoing joke for us that he goes to prison and I walk the streets. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And literally that's what he did. He walked in and ministered and I walked the streets and found our very first woman um, to give a purse to. We've got a picture of it. Um, I gave her a white purse that my husband and son had actually bought for me on a mission trip in the Bronx of New York. And I filled it up and gave it to her and come to find out later through years of working with her, she was a published author, had written a book for elementary and middle school students on bullying. Oh, wow. But tragedy happened in her life through a series of events physically, hmm. and um, it was it was horrifying what somebody did to her, and it sent her on a mental spiral that bound her by fear to a park bench in Nashville. Now, her family had thought for years, almost 13 years, that she was deceased. They couldn't find her. But now she's restored with her family. She's getting the mental help and all the things that she needs. And she's going to live the rest of her life being surrounded by her family that can care for her and love her. Now, I know that's probably not an easy subject to talk about, and you don't have to, but it's such a big part of who you are and how you're so connected. But do you mind sharing your story about what it was like for you being homeless? Absolutely. Um I said faith is a firm foundation for all that I do. Had it not Mm -hmm. been for um, me hearing about Jesus and my life being radically transformed, again, I would not be here today. 
Um, I grew up in a lot of dysfunction. Um, my dad was a severe alcoholic and, um, I had been abandoned by, by my biological mom before my dad got custody of me, had gone through a lot of abuse at the hands of a lot of yucky things. My mother had, uh, was prostituting herself and dancing in the strip clubs. And so to a lot of stuff a child you don't want to hear a child go through right um I had every right to be angry at the world and I even abused my own body at 15 and lost a baby at 15 um so I'd gone through a lot of trauma myself mm-hmm. and I just was making a lot of bad choices I didn't have mentors I didn't have a positive voice in my life um I just knew the dysfunction and so for somebody that grows up like that to that's their normal they don't know and are not aware that there's something else right. unless it's presented to them. And so um, as a young adult, I had an opportunity at 24 years old. Somebody presented the gospel at one of the darkest moments of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was a radical transformation for me. And I, I had mentors surround me at the church. And those mentors began to teach me about my value and my worth and my identity. And so when I say it was radical, it was life transforming and radical. Um, I didn't have to go to psychologists. I didn't have to go on medications for anything. I was so radically transformed with a revelation that there's something so much better than what I had and that my value wasn't in what men and women thought of me. My value was in what the word of God said about who I was and that if I chose to believe that and, and act on that and live according to the word, and I love what our pastor says. He says, read the word and do what it says. Mm-hmm. And that's what I began to do because the mentors that I had in my life were so strong and they didn't let me make excuses. They didn't let me walk with crutches anymore. Um, There was an opportunity for freedom there. And I wanted that so bad because it had been so dark where I was. I didn't want to go back. And I remember the first time that the pastors at that church hugged me. (laughs) They hugged me with such a purity that it was the first time a man actually put his arms around me that I felt like I actually was safe or that that was the kind of love that somebody could experience. And even when his wife hugged me because they came together, it was the first time in my whole life that I actually felt clean. Mm -hmm. And unless if you've been there, it's hard to almost even put it into words, but it was such an unconditional love that no matter what they knew about my past, they did not judge that. And it was ugly. They didn't care. They cared about me in that moment yeah. and what my future could be. And so for me, I get an opportunity to share what I experienced with others. It was in that moment of darkness because I wanted to take my own life. Mm-hmm. I had it planned out. I wanted to drive off the Port Natchez River Bridge and plummet down to my death so that my children would have a place to live. I thought, surely if I'm not here, somebody would take my children and give them a home. Mm-hmm. But God's plan was obviously much better than yeah. mine. And so it was... Um, for me, I just get to go and share that same kind of unconditional love, and I don't put judgments on where they were in their past. Yeah. Instead, I hope that I can bring hope about where they can go for their future, yeah. and that's where we're seeing life change, because people know that it's bad where they are. I knew yeah. how ugly it was where I was at. Mm-hmm. I knew some people would accept it and some wouldn't, but here I am today, a living testimony of what hope and unconditional love can do. You are, and 
and I've known you for just a few years mm-hmm. and, and done some stuff with you. But And, and I see the, the people that pour into you from organizations that you don't even know about mm-hmm. that will come and bring you things. Yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, we, we've brought her things that a lot of people have. And she just, she had this little room that she had this warehouse. Now she's got this. Yeah, she's got warehouse. a huge warehouse. <laughs> and, it, and it's incredible that that you have grown without really having to mm-hmm. solicit help. I'm sure you have some, but for the most part, people pour into you because yeah. they, they trust and believe in you. I pray that's it. I, I believe that integrity goes before man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something my mentors taught me. And one of the things that they taught me that I try to live with today is that um, you have to have the character su- to sustain what you build. Um, you could be flamboyant and big and loud and boisterous and build it quickly, but we want to sustain it and have the yeah. character to sustain it for the mm-hmm. long haul. So even after I'm gone, it's continuing to thrive and be a blessing to our community. And so um, you're right, Charlie, it has been the parting of the Red Sea miracle is the only way I know to describe it. Sometimes I don't even have all the words to put it yeah. together, but it is <clears throat> miracle after miracle. I, this Every week is a new miracle. Yeah, yeah. We we just had, even since since you came, Katie, um, we were talking about that wraparound care for uh-huh. our Project Foster Hope. And out of the clear blue, three people walk into my life and say, hey, have you ever thought about providing counseling for some of these families in trauma? And they had no clue what we were getting ready to do. So uh-huh. it's very exciting yeah. to see the miracles. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I, everybody's familiar that YAPEC outreach is about going in, reaching the homeless, mm-hmm. but there's different facets of the thing. You've grown into more. Oh, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about some of the other things you do. So it started with the homeless, but but because of what we were finding there, when we were finding the homeless children, my first experience with a homeless child was his mother sent him home with me and he stayed at my house for three days with me trying to figure out what to do in life. Because where was this, was this mom going to show back up? What happened if she showed back up? What about the safety of the child? It was horrendous Mm -hmm. what we experience with that child and what he had to deal with as a baby. And when we found him at two years old, he popped his little head up out of a dilapidated tent. On the other side of that tent was about a hundred, about 50 to a hundred drop foot into the Cumberland river. Oh wow! The other backside of him was the rock quarry, just probably about 30 feet. And then another 30 foot was the railroad tracks that went into the rock quarry for Mm -hmm. transit. Overlooking that particular tent was some fancy apartments that nobody never reported this mother and child living in that camp right there in the visual site and not even offering help. But here was this little boy who had been his life raised in a stroller. So he didn't even want to get out of the stroller and play. It's all he knew. It's all he knew. His hair was down to down past his elbows. His fingernails and little toenails was like little claws. Um, I slept in my floor with him in my living room floor because he didn't even know what a bed was. Mm -hmm. We couldn't even get him on the couch or in the bed or anything. So I had to sleep in the floor with him. Um, and through that whole, we it took us nine months to get him to safety because of what we learned about the system, the safety of the system, the things that worked, the things that didn't work. And um, that led to Project Foster Hope and working with those trauma, those, those children in that trauma mm-hmm. in those moments. Um, it wasn't that a... A DCS worker could just walk into that camp and pull that child out. You would think that could happen. It is such a different story mm. when you're 
involved in it. So out of that, um, we now work with a lot of those children that are homeless. We are working with children that are refugees. We just had one that we worked with um, that's um, come across the southern border. She's in the eighth grade, swam the Rio Grande by herself. Um, Border agents found an uncle in Nashville. That uncle said she has one year to live with him. She has one year and the teachers and the social workers to figure it out what will happen next for this child. Um, so there's a, we're working with those refugees over in another part of the state right now because of the amount of children involved. Um, there's a lot of stories we can't post, but because of that trauma, that's why we're doing the work that we do. We are not government funded or fin- government funded or federally funded. We are all donation based, which allows us an opportunity to move quickly without a lot of red tape yeah. and to move quickly into the legitimacy of these situations. Yeah. And so our social workers that um, work at our Montgomery County school system. We are available to them at a phone call. If something happens in that school with a child, um, if they need something immediately, we are able to pack quickly and get it there. With our foster care program and what we do with the foster care system and child protective services that we work here in Montgomery County, we are able to pack quickly, and now we're offering wraparound care as well. And you also do disaster relief. So let's touch on that just a little bit, because that's that's like... You talk about move quickly. The tornado hit's got to be there tomorrow. (laughs) So um, one of the things that happened in the homeless camps that brought some attention back to disaster relief is they have no forewarning of a flood. And so we've seen loss of life with some of our friends who camp along the rivers. Um, They don't have TVs and electric to plug in radios and all that kind of stuff. And so there was no early warning system for them. So we worked really hard on providing um, weather radios that were either solar powered or plenty, definitely battery powered where we could provide batteries every week, make sure they didn't run out. But with that, um, we were being called to come into some of these areas where there were big camps and to help those camps recover. Um, Well, about the same time, uh, Harvey hit my family. I'd been doing storms just as an individual since Katrina, but Harvey hit and my family lost everything. The Cajun Navy rescued my mom and sister and niece and her children out of a two-story house is how high the water went. Oh, wow. And so... um, they lost it all. And my sister, when, when Rita had hit before Harvey, she called and she said, Sherry, FEMA's not here yet. Nobody's come. They're still tied up with Katrina. She said, I've got neighbors who's, who's don't have diapers on their baby's bottoms. And she said, is there anything you can do? And I said, I'll be there. And so we packed up um, as much supplies as we could load. And we got there in about 15 hours. And... It just was like a miracle that came out of that that van that we took. It just exploded mm-hmm. like it had been a box truck. Um, and we were able to provide diapers and formula and emergency things that were needed in that moment. Well, not long is when Harvey happened. We saw lots of small communities. I'll never forget one of the communities in De Quincey. Um, the roads were flooded and the Cajun Navy wasn't letting anybody through. But when we got on site, they said, as soon as we clear the roads, would you take supplies into a church that will be waiting? We said, absolutely. When we got there, they had tables set up high enough that supplies could go on the tables and not be set down in about the inch or two inches of water that remained. 
there were 70 and 80 year olds that were broken in their bodies that were trying to lift these heavy boxes just to get supplies to the families they knew were going to need it. Mm. And so we were, we, we brought in supplies immediately. We were the first ones into that community. Well, two years later, a storm hit again and the same communities were decimated. This time it happened in Lake Charles. We took down a a, um, laundry unit and uh, we partnered with um, a small portable laundry unit that was self-made through some friends of ours. And we borrowed the shower unit from United Way and we took down our trailers loaded with supplies. Senator Kennedy found out in Louisiana what we were doing, and he called and said, hey, if I send you into some places, only the National Guard is there with water and MREs. Would you be willing to go? And we said, absolutely. So for the whole week that we remained there, every day he gave us an assignment to a small community. We would go in and be the first ones there other than the National Guards and some of the people that still remained there. And we were taking in cleanup supplies. We were taking in the emergency basic things that they needed. And now within our own community, we can stay long term. So like Waverly, like Dawson Springs, like Mayfield, because with our local partners here, we're able to house the 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 plumbing, the toilets, the tubs, mm-hmm. the, the vanities, all the things and, and work on getting those homes rebuilt. And so we're up to about 250 homes, maybe 300 now after this last load that we've been able to funnel supplies out to and get it on site so that they can continue to rebuild homes. Charlie, have you seen her new warehouse? Yet? I have. It's a well-oiled machine. I, I was over there. I don't know. I guess it's been a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. I was we, there, what, we last ma- week? We made a delivery, and then um, Tracy and Lexi and a lot of people from church came over there and painted. Oh, it's it's a well-oiled. Did, did a she's got stuff. it figured out. It's definitely more since you've been there, Charlie. You won't recognize yeah. it. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah, she's got it figured out. So you, um, you're, you stay very busy, and I want to thank you for everything that you're doing for our community and before we close, is there anything else that you want people to know or what can people do if they want to help, they want to donate, they want to volunteer, tell people what you need and what they can do to help you. So another project that we have just real quick is the project Patriot Hope. We do a tremendous amount of work with our veterans that again was birthed out of homelessness. We were finding veterans that qualified for benefits, but had kind of thrown their hands in the air. Well, now we work on getting them reconnected. We follow them through the entire system, being a friend to them so that when they are finally in their home, we fully set up their new home in the first week. Mm -hmm. Um, Whole nother story to that for another show maybe, but (laughs) we get them every single thing they need to get off on a good start, making sure to follow up that they're getting uh, the emotional care that they need. We want to make sure that they have a healthy support. Um, As a military person, you know how vital that is. I believe the latest statistics in 2001 were that 1.8 million veterans are at the verge of homelessness. Mm. I knew that it was high, which is extremely sad that our veterans don't get more care. and, and, And the number one contributing factor to that is unhealthy support. And so for our veterans that we're working with, we're making sure that they have a healthy support system. And that's why we do the follow-up and the follow-through. Um, and so the things that we need, um, we would love just monthly sponsors, whether you want to bring in uh, 
a full tote of hope for our veterans. Um, or if you want to bring in a full set of, of clothing for what we do for one of the projects for foster our foster children or children in trauma, we have it all broken down um, so that companies could select a project they want to focus on or they could do it in a general way, we have ways to facilitate that depending mm-hmm. on the individual or the company or an entire corporation. So we love mon- monthly partners, whether it be monetary. If it's monetary, we are 501c3 nonprofit. So we're able to maximize that money where you might buy one pair of jeans. We could buy three. Right. Um, we um, have checks and balances in place. Dave Ramsey Family Foundation is a silent partner. So we turn over our finances to him. Um, we have um, our a local CPA that works um, for Thurham downtown. And then we have an accountant on staff also. Um, with checks and balances with her mm-hmm. in place who has 30 years experiences 30 years experience with multiple companies and other very large ministries so tell you mentioned tote of hope if someone wants to bring you a tote of hope what are the things you want in that tote so um, we do shower curtains, shower rings, all the hygiene for a bathroom, a small rug, uh, a set of towels. So either uh, four towels or six towels, including the rags and the hand towels. And then anything like that that needs to be new for a bathroom. You're buying an empty apartment. What are some of the basic things you need? So can opener, dishes, mm-hmm. pots, pans, our veterans start with absolutely nothing but a backpack on. Mm-hmm. And so um, everything they need to cook and to open up what they're cooking, right. um, they need that. And then um, extra bedding. So full and queen size is is the biggest need for sheets. Mm-hmm. Um Comforter sets that are are gender neutral or masculine. Um, obviously, the the greater percentage of our veterans are male, and so um, gender neutral or masculine bedding set that is full or or queen size. Um, also, cleaning supplies. We provide mops, brooms, detergent, vacuums. I mean, whatever it is that they're going to need to get that home on a good start is what we're providing. Yeah. And then it, you said something to me when I met you, met with you a week ago about clothes. I don't remember exactly how you worded it, so I'm going to let you, like, that everybody deserves dignity. So if you wouldn't wear it, don't bring it. Is it how did you word it? Yeah. You worded it much more poetic than I did. <laughs> Um, we just asked, we do take used items. We just asked to be common sense. If you're not going to put it on your body, there's a reason you're giving it. Right. What's that reason? It doesn't fit you or it's so worn out. You just, you're not going to wear it in front of somebody. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure every person that we're clothing feels like they're getting the best and that they're treated with such dignity and excellence that they're not embarrassed to wear it to the local store or even church. We had one gentleman, he said, all I want to do is go to church and look nice so nobody judges me. And so we came up with an idea to get him a really nice suit. And one of the ladies said, oh, this is all she said. I would love to get him a pair of winged toe nice shoes so he Uh could have a finish out his suit. And and we never told anybody. We didn't ask for it. But this is how miraculous God works. And I hope that people that are listening to this will let the let their hearts be moved. A lady walked in at the end of the day and she said, I have this. Can y'all use it? And and my volunteer said, well, what is it? And she said, it's just a pair of wingtoe shoes. We said, what size? Because everybody keeps those around. Si- right? Yeah. And it was his size. He got to go to church. Well, the family that took him to church 
ended up kind of adopting him as there and he just for the for the to the rest of his life got to live out knowing how valued and loved he yeah. was and he felt good every time he went to church. That's amazing. It's beautiful story. Little story. So many, so many of those. Well yeah. before we close I want you to tell one how people can find out more, tell your web address and I think it's important to tell them what Yay stands for. So Yay is an acronym. Mm-hmm. You are important. That is the message that we leave with everybody that we encounter is that they're important. They can reach us through our website at www.yayoutreach.org. Again, it's Y-A-I. Um, they can reach us on Facebook. Message us there. Our media team does a great job. They can give us a phone call. Numbers are listed. Uh, 615-559-8272. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Sorry. <laughs> they can... Um, any one of those ways, Facebook, Instagram, our website has multiple emails that are for specific projects, so they can reach out that way. Um, There's a ton of information on the website. If you want to learn more information, just go there. And for any of the outreaches that she's discussed, they're all there at Yay, Yay Pack Outreach. Yay Pack Outreach is our official yeah. name. Dot org. Um, um, the website is www.yayoutreach. Yay! Like, okay, yeah. celebration. Yay! Yay. Y-A-I. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yayoutreach.org. Well, thank you for joining us today, Sherry, because I know that you are busy. <laughs> I so, love it. I know. I appreciate you coming and sharing your story with us, too. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there. Thank you. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you all so much. I appreciate y'all. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single conversation.